just the other day, I, uh, I was in my, my personal and private devotion when the Lord just, you know, sometimes the Lord just drops a bomb on you. And you, and you can't get away from it. Your thoughts are just kind of wrapped around this one thing. Anybody ever had that to happen? I mean, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm sure that you've had God just to speak something to your heart, and you know it's God, and you've heard it before. You've, you've read it before. I've preached this before and everything else. But Psalm 127, verse 1, and it says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep watch in vain. And, and I was, as I was praying about this and I was thinking about this, the Lord just began to give me a picture in my heart and mind of the things that we have tried to do to, to build the kingdom, to build the church, to build families, to build ourselves, and how that so much vanity has been involved in it. Sometimes it's almost like building a house of cards. You wonder how long it's going to stand before it falls. Anybody ever tried to build a house of cards? You know what I'm talking about? You start, you stacking them up. And anybody ever been able to make all 52 of them? I haven't either. You know, it just doesn't take long till they come crashing down. And that's what it's like when we try to build on anything outside of what God has given us to build with. What are the things that are, 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 are foundational? What are the things that God wants us to build with? You know, Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But notice what he says here. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is, is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but himself shall be saved, yet is through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. You're holy. You're set apart. That's what it means. You're set apart with a purpose, not just set apart. I mean, God didn't just save you and just say, well, I'm going to sit you over here. You look pretty. You know, you dress up nice. I'm just going to leave you over here. But no, he set us apart, but he filled us up with his spirit with purpose. Everybody say, I have a purpose. You have a purpose in God. God has created you with unique giftings unique personality. God has given you a unique mindset. Each one of us are different. Thank God we're not all the same. I love it when we can come together and we're all different. It would be terrible if we all came in and looked alike. I wouldn't know which one's which. But I can look at each of you and I, I recognize you by the way that you appear, by the way that you are. And each one of us has our own things that, that we bring to the table, our own giftings that we bring that God wants to bring out of us and to use. 
And there's some things we have to do to be able to build effectively upon the foundation that God has laid. Now, I want you to think of each one of us, think of ourselves as the building of God. I am the temple of God. Would you say that? Because you are where he dwells. God created you so that he could fill you up with the essence of who he is. And he wants to build something inside of you, something of character, something that stands out different, unique from anybody else. But the foundation has to be there. And the foundation is Christ himself. As it says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what is glory? We know what glory is, don't we? Everybody know what glory is? You see the bride in all of her glory? The revelation of who she is on that day when she comes out to marry her, her groom and she's all radiant and beautiful. You know, the beauty, the, that's what God wants to bring out in each of us. He wants to be able to reveal Christ in us. He wants to be able to reveal himself in us. That's what he's after more than anything else. So it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. The doxa. The doxology of God. The doxa of God. The, the glory of God is what he wants to bring out in us. So, so what are some things that God has to do to make that happen? How do we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ? Well, first of all, the word. The word of God is the very foundation. It's the most important thing. If we're going to build a house of strength, we've got to build it upon the scriptures or else we're building in vain. Now, it's one thing to say that I'm a Christian, but if your, if your Christianity is based upon a philosophy other than what the scriptures say, then it's not going to stand, is it? You're already off to a shaky foundation. You're not building on the foundation, which is Christ. Because Christ is at the very center of the word. Because the word says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Christ is the word. He is the logic. He is the logos of God. And, and that's where we begin, is with the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we're going to grow and if we're going to really establish a strong foundation in our lives, it has to be based upon the Word of God and nothing else. Because, you know, people will have their own ideologies. We see it rampant in the church today. When we no longer take the Scripture as the final authority, the final say of God, and we begin to inject our own philosophies and our own ideas, that becomes a house of cards that will ultimately fall. But when we build solidly upon the word of God, then we build like Jesus said. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, or is that chapter 7? I'm going to 649. It says that, he said, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts upon them, I will show you what he is like. What is he like? He is like a man doing what? Building a house. Lest the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who try to build. He is like a man building a house. And what does he have to do first? He who dug deep and laid a foundation... Upon the rock. Now, who is the rock? 
Come on, y'all, help me out. Y'all are smart. Matthew 16 and 17 says that Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the rock? The rock of revelation, which comes through the word of God. Jesus was the word. The the disciples hung around with the word. I mean, that's okay, isn't it? Isn't that cool to hang around with the word all the time? You and I can do the same thing. We can hang around with the word all the time. In the morning when you get up and you begin to read the word, read it out loud to yourself. It's God speaking to you in an audible voice and all day long and go about knowing that God has spoken to you. You've heard from God because when you read the scriptures, it's God talking. And so the disciples had the privilege of of hearing it firsthand. He's like a man who, who built his house upon the rock. And when a flood arose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it. Why? Come on. What does it say? Because it was well built. It was well built. How are you building your house? How are you building your spiritual relationship with God? What is it built upon? Is it built upon showing up at church once a week? Is it built upon a steady diet of watching TV? Is it built upon a steady diet of reading the newspapers and listening to philosophy and what everybody else is thinking? What thus saith Dr. So-and-so rather than what thus saith the Lord? And when we build upon the solid rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ, we're building upon that rock and we're building a good house. How's your house being built? Remember, lest the Lord build the house, you labor in vain. So Jesus is saying it's been built well. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Wow. You know, I've said before that there's a huge difference between ignorance and stupidity. Now, ignorance is what? Not knowing. You just haven't heard. I mean, you just, you know, you haven't got that knowledge, so you're ignorant of it. You know, I, I, there, was a, there was a little bug one day. I was out in my garden, and I was um, picking green beans, and I noticed this little bug down there that I'd never seen before. I was ignorant to the fact that that little thing would sting the daylights out of you. It didn't look like a bee. It didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before. So being ignorant, I reached down, and I started to pull it off, and it stung my finger, and it hurt so bad. I get cold chills thinking about it right now. It hurts so bad. But now I was educated. So from then on, you know what I was doing? I was watching for that kind of little bug. Because if I ever reached down again and tried to move one of them, I was no longer ignorant. I was stupid. I was stupid. That's the difference. Will Rogers says some people were born stupid and they've been going downhill ever since. It's like we never learn. Jesus talked about, you know, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There were those who were were educated in the things of the scripture. They should have known what the Messiah would be like, where he was going to be born, how he was going to live, how he was going to die. They should have seen it, but they didn't. 
because they were stupid. And some folks come to church and we hear. We hear the gospel. We hear the truth about how we should live our lives, how we should honor God, put him first, how we should learn to tithe, we should learn to give, we should learn to be involved in the things of God. And we don't do it. That's what Jesus said this is like. We hear the principles of God. We don't apply them to our life. It's not that we're ignorant. And what does it make it? Okay, you said it. I didn't. It really is. When we know, and the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and and does it not, to him it is sin. So if we know to do good, and we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give account for our sins, not only the sins of commission and things that we commit, but the sins of omission. The things we should have known to do and we didn't do it. Just like Jesus said here, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? You're just like that foolish man that builds his house upon the sand. Though you've got all the materials that you need to build with, you make the choice, I will build my house upon the sand. And so when the storms of life come, what happens? It just blows you away. I see it all the time, folks. I see it all the time. You know, we, we live our lives, we do our thing, and then when something happens, who is it most the time that gets the blame when something bad happens in our life? God, why? God says, don't blame me. I tried to tell you. I sent my word. I sent others to tell you the truth, and you heard the truth, so you can't blame me. You are responsible for yourself. It happens so often when we don't build wisely. We build with vanity. That's what the word is talking about here. Okay. The other thing is prayer. You know, Jesus was clear when he spoke about prayer. He never said, if you pray. What did he say? He said, when you pray. Now, Jesus talked a lot about prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 10. He talked about it. He talked about how, how we should pray. The disciples came to him one day and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, well, don't pray like the, the, the Pharisees do. Because when they pray, they like to do it out in public so they can be seen by others and they can see how religious they are and sanctimonious and everything else. And he said, they've already received their reward. But he said, when you pray, do this. He said, go into your closet and pray to God in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So when we pray... It's not something we boast about. It's not something we keep score on. Well, I prayed for an hour this morning. Whoop-de-doo. Did you pray effectively? Did you pray according to the word of God? Or did you just look at the clock and think, well, I'm going to get this out. I'm going to make this one hour. All right, I got it. I got my hour in, so I'm good to go. Well, what did you pray about? You know, when we pray effectively, we go after the heart of God. We pray about the things that he's concerned about. And we need to ask. 
We need to ask the Lord for things, and it's okay. We ask the Lord for things, but we need to thank him for what he's already given us. Spend time in worship when we pray and when we talk to the Lord. And spend time listening. Because prayer isn't a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is when we speak to the Lord and we wait for an answer. We wait to hear from God. You know, one thing I've learned about prayer is I'm much more effective if I spend more time listening to God than I do talking to Him. And it's good sometimes because the Lord wants to hear from us. He knows what's in our heart. And the Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. But when we do ask, how do we ask? Do we ask so we can heap it upon our flesh? Or do we ask it so that we can be more effective in his kingdom and do more for him? So one way that we can be sure that we're praying right is to pray according to the word of God. I'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to understand this. Prayer is not a religious requirement, but it is our ultimate privilege. Have you ever thought about what a privilege it is to be able to talk to the God of gods, the creator of all the universe? What a privilege that is to know that he hears you, that he takes time to hear you. You know how busy God is? Man, I'm glad that God doesn't say when we call upon his name, well, I'm too busy. Anybody ever heard that? You're talking to God and he says, I don't have time for you right now. Could you call back later? God's never too busy, is he? Sometimes we're too busy for God, but God's never too busy for us. Isn't that amazing? With all he's got going on now, I can't imagine, you know, my schedule's pretty full, but I can't imagine being the God of gods, the God of all the universe, and all the stuff he's got to take care of, and all the people that are calling on his name, and yet he never misses one of them. Can you imagine? Put yourself in God's shoes for just a moment. Think about that. Okay, I don't want you to get overload here. That's enough. Because it, it'll, it'll cause you to crash and burn just thinking about all the things that God has. And yet, the Bible says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't take notice of it. Not one hair of your head falls off. Ronnie, that's good to know, isn't it? I'm glad the Lord's storing them up for us. When we get home, he's going to give them back. That'd be cool, won't it? Yeah. For those of us who are follically challenged, that's a wonderful thing. That God knows every hair that falls from our head. He's got them numbered. Ed, don't look at me like that. Some of us got it and some of us don't. You're blessed. <laughs> blessed with the best no stress and highly favored yes but God knows and he takes care of everything and it's a privilege to talk to him the other thing is when we're building the house a solid house a foundational house we built it around we build it around fellowship and that's relationship with others we call it koinonia in the Greek everybody say koinonia koinonia which means partnership or participation, communion. In Acts 2.42, you can kind of get a picture of what it was about. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Whenever the disciples got together, man, it was just automatic, you know. And, and I've noticed that, that Christians like to eat. And that's cool. As long as we don't just eat and leave, but they always prayed. 
It always ended up in a prayer meeting, which is a cool thing. And I love to see it. And I've seen it so many times when saints get together. You know, ultimately, the heart of the matter begins to turn into praying for one another. And that's what relationships are about. That's koinonia. That's, that's communion, having common union when we pray for one another, we minister to one another. And that's so important in our relationship with the Lord, and that's foundational. That's something we can build upon. Then there's the other thing, intercession. That's going deeper. That's much deeper than just surface relationships. That is being concerned about the needs of others to the point that you're willing to take the time to pray for them and to intercede for them, to go between them and, to pray and represent them before the Father. That's what Jesus did for us. He made intercession for us, and he still does according to the will of the Father. Jesus is always stepping in on our behalf. Aren't you glad of that? When we call upon his name, we have a go-between who goes between us and the Father, and he represents us. It's just like court. Of course, we're always guilty. So Jesus is always pleading our case before the Father, and we come out innocent. That's cool how that works, isn't it? Because he constantly is representing us before the Father in intercession. But he tells us to intercede for one another. How do we intercede? Well, I want to tell you, folks, some of the most, the most effective intercession has taken place sometimes when I didn't even know what I was praying about. Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just feel a burden, and you don't know exactly how to handle this. You know that God is calling upon you to pray for someone, but you don't know who it is? Anybody ever been there? Come on, look at me. Talk to me. You, you just don't know exactly who it is. So what do you do? Well, an effective way to pray in that situation is to do it through the Holy Spirit because he knows exactly what's going on. And when we come into unity with the Spirit of God and we begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, God begins to do some incredible things. That is the value of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and tongues. Well, what good are tongues? Well, if I stood up here and spoke in tongues for 30 minutes, that would do you no good at all, would it? Not unless somebody stood up for another 30 minutes and interpreted it, which isn't what the Lord has told us to do. He said, but I would rather that you prophesy so that everybody can be edified and built up, and that's good. I understand that. But when we say that tongues have no value, that they were for the church back then and not for us now, then we take away an effective tool in the arsenal of the saints that God has given us that we can use to build the kingdom of God because when we pray in the Spirit, and Paul made it clear what praying in the Spirit is. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I will pray in the Spirit and with my understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and with my understanding. So what Paul was saying is, I will pray in tongues and I will pray in my understanding. See, but when we pray in the Spirit, what's going on? Our understanding is unfruitful. We don't know what we're praying. But guess what? The Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit prays directly to the Father on our behalf. I'll give it to you clear. Here it is. Romans 8.26 says, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself, say that with me, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that cool? He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And in verse 28, we love to quote this one, but it's better if we quote it all together because he makes all things work together and he makes all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. God has purpose in everything that he does. And when he gives us these gifts, though we don't understand the intricacies of them, we understand that God gives them to us for a reason and for a purpose. This is the reason for our prayer language. This is the reason for tongues. This is the reason when we get on our face before God and we don't know how to pray, we can begin to pray in the Spirit. And though our mind doesn't understand what's going on, our spirit is in direct communication with the Spirit of God who prays directly to the Father and always prays according to the will of God. Isn't that cool? How many have ever seen it work? I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony of saints who've been praying in the Spirit, not knowing what they're praying about, not knowing exactly what's going on, but God has laid a burden upon their heart, and they just begin to pray. Sometimes it's so intense, it's just like you're groaning in the Spirit, and you don't know exactly what to do. But the Spirit of God understands and knows exactly what's going on. So that translates to the Father. And you're praying according to the will of God. God puts something on your heart. And then God makes it all work together for the good of those who love him. Who are the called according to his purpose. We see how God brings it about. That's a cool thing, isn't it? I love it. Praying in the Spirit also does another thing. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, we build ourselves up. Is that a bad thing? How many of y'all need to be built up every now and then? Your faith gets weak. You need need your tank refilled. You just need need to get on your face before God, and you need something to happen, and you just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. And before you know it, you begin to sense inside your spirit that something is happening, that you're being charged with the power of God. You know, I, I know that Jesus prayed all night. I don't, I don't think he had to pray in the Spirit, but I wonder sometimes, of course, he knew a lot of things that you and I don't know, so I imagine he had a lot to pray about. How many of y'all ever tried to pray all night? I, I remember as a youth pastor, we wanted to do this thing. You know, I thought it would be really cool, really spiritual if we got our youth group together, and, and Patsy was one of those kids. She was in my first youth group. She's, she's in the children's church. Um, and, and so Patsy, uh, Patsy Stuckey was, was in that group and we did, we determined we we're going to pray all night. So we called an all night prayer meet. We started at nine o'clock and we started praying. First hour was good. And by about 10 after 10, we began to grow faint And before you know it, some were really laboring before the Lord in in snores. (laughs) You know, and and I'm trying to pump them up. You know, I'm going around tapping people. Wake up, pray. I understood Jesus' frustration when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, and he's praying. And he comes back, and the disciples, after he'd been there, you know, less than an hour, he comes back, and and Peter and John and Andrew just... (laughs) 
says, could you not tarry with me for one hour? I understood his frustration, you know, because I'm trying to get these kids to pray all night. Because I'm sure if we prayed all night, something's going to break in the spirit. Something good's going to happen. Well, I think we folded the tent by midnight. It never happened. It never happened. But, you know, there have been other times, though, when I've been awakened in the middle of the night. And I haven't known what to pray for. But I felt the burden of prayer. And I began to pray, and I'm like, God, what's... What's going on? And you just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. You begin to pray in the Spirit. And then as you're praying, Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray with my understanding also. And as you're praying, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Holy Spirit begins to reveal things to you. And you begin to pray in your understanding And you're praying in concert with the Holy Spirit. And God begins to do some incredible things. And it's happened time and time again. I don't have time to really give you the examples of this. But but they're very real. And people are alive today because of praying in the Holy Spirit. People are, are doing ministry today because of praying in the Holy Spirit. My mother prayed in the Holy Spirit for me many, many times. A lot of times I'd come in, I'd hear calling me out. I, I guess she just finished praying in the Holy Spirit because she's praying in English when I walk through the door. She's praying her understanding, and she's saying, Lord, save Donnie. That was my name back then, Donnie. Nobody calls him that but my wife. So, But prayer is important. Unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain who try to build it. So the other thing is praying the Word of God. You know, God has given us his word. And I tell you, when you remind God of his word when you're in prayer, that's powerful. You know? Have, have any of you, have any of you uh, that are old enough, most of us in here are old enough to have children. You ever had your kids to come back to you, but you said, you ever had that happen? Well, you said I could have the car if I did so and so. Well, if you made that promise and your kids come back and remind you of it, you got... You got no choice but to come through or or be a liar. Well, God's not a liar. He's made promises in his word. And when we pray the word of God, we remind God of his word. God's word says in, in Exodus, it says that I am the God who healeth thee. And when we remind God of that, Exodus 16, 23, I am the God that healeth thee. We remind God, who is God when it comes to our healing? Come on, help me out. It doesn't take rocket science to figure that one out. I am the God that healeth thee. Now, when we say I am, who's that talking about? The great I am. The God, the Elohim, who healeth thee. I am the one. So, we remind God of his word. He says that he's the God who heals us. And then he tells us. 1 Peter 2.24, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes ye were healed. So we remind God of that. And Psalm 107 verse 20 says, and he sent his word and he healed them. So the word is full of, of the scriptures concerning healing. And when we begin to pray these things toward God when it comes to our healing, God... His word is true. 
It's forever established in the heavens. And when we pray the word of God over anything, that it lines up with the word of God, we know we're praying according to the will of God, and we know God's going to come through because God and his word are inseparable. And when we remind God of his word, we remind him of his promises, God's coming through for us. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we're praying, we believe God is going to reward us as we diligently seek him. Jeremiah 1.12 says, I am watching over my word to perform it. Isn't that cool? God watches over his word to perform it. And when we pray scripturally, we're praying according to the will of God. We can pray in faith with certainty that our prayers are going to be answered. If we pray any other way, we're just shooting in the dark and not sure where our prayers are going, you know. But we remind God of his word. The other thing is to pray for what matters to God. We know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So to pray for someone's salvation is never a vanity. It's always in the will of God. You know, when, when um, Osama bin Laden was alive, I prayed a lot for that man's salvation. I prayed for Saddam Hussein because they were no different than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who was always breathing threats against Christians and going around imprisoning them and everything else, putting some to death and approving of those who were killed because he was a religious zealot. No difference, right? So we need to pray for those who are our enemies when it comes to when those who disagree with us and stand in opposition to our God. We should pray for them. Pray for them. That's praying according to the will of God because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is repentance? It's turning around from what we once knew to what we now know and believing upon God himself and having a different mindset toward God. So God is able. Pray for what matters to him. And Psalm 127 said, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. That's the second part of Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. That's why we got to pray and seek the mind of God concerning our cities, our nation. How many would say that Salisbury needs revival? How's it going to happen? If we get together next Saturday, we all get placards and signs and we protest and we march down the street, is that going to bring revival? What's it going to do? Just divide, create anger, animosity. We get enough of that as it is. But if we pray and we intercede, we strike upon, we have that meeting with God and we stand between this city And represent them before the Father in prayer. God's going to do something powerful and incredible. How many does it take for this to happen? Really, it only takes one. But if two of us will stand together, then there's greater unity and there's greater power. But if three of us will stand together, there's a cord that cannot be broken. And if we all stand together, then there's an army of voices that are being raised toward God that are going to bring about change in this city. And unless the Lord build the house, we labor in vain who try to build it. 
Folks, if we try to build this house upon any other thing than the things that God has given us to build upon, which is Christ himself, and upon fellowship and prayer and the things that God has given us, then we're building in vain. But if we build upon these things, we build solid, we build a good house, we build something that will represent the kingdom of God that God can use to show forth his glory. That's what God is after. Amen? Amen. Now, God's eager to show himself strong for us. Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3 says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. And I love verse 3. Somebody said this is God's phone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call upon me. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That's powerful, isn't it? We call upon the Lord. He will answer us. He'll hear us and answer us and show us great and mighty things that we don't even know. And I love this verse of Scripture in the, in the New Testament as good as any. And this is going to be our benediction this morning. This is going to be kind of the doxology. This is going to be the thing that we go out on. And I want you to stand with me this morning. And I want you to say this Scripture with me. Would you do that? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord God. That he is exceedingly abundantly able to do above and beyond anything that we can ask or think. According to the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within us, Father. We realize, God, that we may be a small army, but we're a powerful one. Lord, because, Father, you said you are able to save whether by many or by few. Lord, you said despise not small beginnings. And so, Father, we realize, God, that you have called us here. You have put purpose within us. You have uniquely gifted every one of us. And, Father, we're building a house. Lord, we're building it upon the scriptures. We're building it upon the foundations of prayer and fellowship. We're building upon the solid revelation of your word, Father. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we continue to build, Lord God, we will see your glory go out across this city. Father, as we intercede together, Lord, as we learn the art of intercession, as we pray in the Holy Spirit, we pray according to your word, Father, we will begin to see things demolished, walls of separation torn down. Lord God, that we will see mountains removed. Lord, that we will see insurmountable things dealt with through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we're just thankful, Lord, that you have given us favor. And Lord, so far, God, you have not yet failed, Lord, to meet us at every turn. God, you have cared for us. You provided for us, Lord. You carried us this far. And we know, Lord God, that you're never going to leave us nor forsake us. But Father, you, Lord God, when we call upon you and we acknowledge you, Father, you hear from heaven. Lord, you respond. Lord, you're going to show us things. God, you're going to reveal things to us that we don't even know about, Lord. And God, we're thankful for it. We're thankful for it, Lord. You're a prayer-answering God. And, Lord, today we stand together. We pray over families. 
Lord God, we see that the enemy is trying to, and he's successful in destroying the very fabric of families, Lord, through media, through other means, Lord God, through philosophies, Lord, through government, Lord. God, we Come against this thing in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray over families. Lord, we pray for strength in families. We pray for moms. We pray for dads and grandmas and grandpas. Lord, we pray for those, Lord God, who have spiritual influence in their families. God, we pray for encouragement. We pray for strengthening. Lord, we pray for revelation from you, Lord God, that you would show us how to more effectively minister to our children, Lord, to keep them in the love and the grace of God, to examine for them, to model for them, Lord, what it is to be a man and a woman of God. And Lord, as a church, God, we pray, Lord, that we would be an entity that has to be dealt with by the enemy himself. Lord, you said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, as we march against the gates of hell, Lord, we tear down strongholds. Lord, we cast down imaginations. Lord, we cast down those vain things that the enemy would try to instill and try to bring into the church, Lord, false doctrines and those kind of things and ideologies, Lord, and imaginations, Lord, which are not of you. We pray, God, that you would give us the spiritual discernment but to see them coming and to deal with them, Lord, to confront them, Lord, to cast them down, Lord, to cast them out in the name of Jesus and have nothing to do with them. Lord, that we would be a holy people that are set apart by you, Lord God. And, Father, that we would do those things which are pleasing to you, Father. Lord, that we would honor your word, that we would be a Christ-honoring people, a God-glorifying people, that we would give you glory in our lives individually and corporately in the church, we pray in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you're building a house. And God, you want to build it on a solid foundation. And you want to build it with, the, with, with gold and silver and precious stones. And Lord, you said, Father, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, Lord, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we are a building, Lord, that is being built together, Lord God, with precious stones. We're built upon the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. And we will continue to build upon that, Lord. And upon the revelation of your word, Lord. Upon the revelation of who you are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will look unto him who was exceedingly abundantly able to do above and beyond anything we can ask according to the power that's at work within us. And to him be glory in the church both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen, 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 amen. God's good, isn't he? Amen. He's good all the time, especially right now. Amen. You love him?